Welcome to episode two of Tasses Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm Eric Simpson, and today's show is part one of a special two-episode series on vulnerable populations. This week's guests are best-selling author and legendary thought leader Ruby Payne, also Frisco ISD Chief Academic Officer Wes Cunningham, and Monica Simons, Richardson ISD Director of Advanced Learning Programs and Services. But first, here's Kevin Brown. Hello, my TASA friends. I hope you're doing as well as you can, given these challenging circumstances. Uh, we're excited to provide this podcast for you, which is going to focus on special needs of students. We know you've done a remarkable job of setting up learning in your school district, and we hope that this adds to your toolbox and your arsenal, especially when it comes to meeting those needs, the individual needs of special education students, GT students, and so forth. We're excited to be able to connect you to some folks that we see are doing some best practices, as well as connect you to Ruby Payne, who we all know is a legend in meeting the needs of, of students. Uh, so we hope this is helpful to you. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Keep up the great work. Keep chipping away at this. Whether it's in the short term or the long term, we know that there's some opportunities to provide a great education for our students in spite of these challenging times. Keep up the great work. God bless you. Let us know if there's anything that we can do for you. Thank you. This week's episode is brought to you by Pearson Legal PC. Pearson Legal PC specializes in construction defect and insurance recovery on a contingency fee basis. Pearson Legal's team will conduct a thorough, no-cost evaluation of any newly constructed facilities that are under 10 years old and for any district that has had recent hail, wind, tornado losses, and have been denied, delayed, or underpaid by the insurance company. During this pandemic and subsequent shutdown of the world economy, students and their families are facing challenges to not only their health, but to their financial security. Ruby Payne is an important voice in the role that poverty plays in student achievement and learning. Dr. Payne is a best-selling author of the landmark book, A Framework for Understanding Poverty, and the founder of AHA Process, her company dedicated to informing schools and other organizations about the effects of poverty on culture and education. Dr. Payne joined us from her home in Corpus Christi, Texas, for this interview. Dr. Ruby Payne, thank you for being part of the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. You know, um, when I woke up this morning, CNN had published a new article um, that I thought was really appropriate for our conversation. And the article was titled, Why Teens May Never Be the Same After the Pandemic. And it was focusing on the trauma of this lack of normalcy and this disruption in everyday life. How is this situation comparable to the way that poverty normally affects schools and, and communities? And what do leaders need to understand about the, the anticipated effects on, on students and parents? Well, the first thing I'm gonna say about this is there's a myth out there right now that schools are primarily about learning, okay? They are not. And for children in poverty, they are a safe, they're first and foremost a safety net and a distribution system for resources. They're a delivery system for resources. And what has happened is those two things have been decimated, okay? Children, particularly from poverty, which would be 61% of children in schools in Texas, they don't have a safety net anymore. And they, the distribution, the delivery system of resources is decimated. So the way it's different than it's ever been before is that there was always some modicum of a delivery system of resources and a safety net. 
And that is totally gone now. And it's not only gone for the kids, it's gone for the parent. I read all the time about how we've got to figure out how to get them academically back on track. No, that's not gonna be the biggest issue. The biggest issue is how you get them emotionally back on track, okay? And how do you find them? Because a lot of them have disappeared, okay? Very few school districts know where all their kids are, all right? Um, two school districts in particular, I read the stats on in Texas, they only know where 83% of their kids are. And I was working, talking with a woman on a Native American Indian reservation in Arizona. She teaches high school, she has 150 kids. She's only been able to contact six of them. So the bottom line is there are huge emotional issues to deal with here. And that you have, we'll have to address those first. Uh, if you talk to teacher, one last thing about this, if you talk to teachers who were through Hurricane Harvey and the flooding in Houston, they will tell you it took them a good two weeks to deal with the emotional issues before they could get back to instruction. What should leaders prioritize when meeting the needs of students with special needs? especially those in, in you know, special education, the, dyslexia, um, your, your at-risk populations? If I were a principal right now, I've been a principal in the past, but if I were a principal right now, the first thing I'd look at is that child's IEP. And then I would look at what is actually possible to now deliver. Okay, that would be my first question. What is actually possible that we can still deliver off that IEP? The second question I would ask is, what are what's the parental uh, level of uh, resources and support? Okay, because are they actually going to be able to deliver it all? And then the third thing you have to look at is uh, what is going to be most critical for the child's survival. So, what do you think that uh, administrators need to understand about how um, gifted and talented learners could be uh, affected by the pandemic? First of all, I, I want to say a couple, I did a lot of training in gifted talented for years and ran a gifted talented program. And I just recently wrote an article that's on the website about why so many boys get, boys from poverty get identified as ODD when they're actually gifted, okay? And if you look at the characteristics, they're almost exactly the same. And the, here's the issue with gifted kids that a lot of people don't know. Number one, they're typically two years ahead of their peers academically, and they're typically two years behind their peers emotionally. So one of the problems is if you accelerate them too far, then emotionally they don't have friends. Um, and so one of the huge issues is how do you accelerate them? And the third thing about them is they change their interest rapidly. Like they'll learn something, they're excited about it, and then they want to go on to something else. And they easily see through um, things that aren't authentic and things that are unnecessary. So this idea that you give them extra work, forget that. They're not going to do it, okay? So the issue is how do you give them work that's challenging to their abilities? So if I were online right now and I knew I had a gifted and talented kid, would do this immediately i'd say okay look uh these i know you're going to have this done in 20 minutes and you're going to be bored okay so i would appeal to two things with them number one i would ask them to do for me a future story 
And I would say to them, get a piece, if they're kindergarten, or if they're third through fifth, not but third through fifth, I would say make a piece of paper with six squares in it and identify in each one of those squares what do you want to do be or have when you're 25. And one of those squares has to be about the talent or gift you have you think you bring to the world. All right. Now, after they get that, then I would say to them, now, what do you think is one of the most pressing issues that you would like to bring a solution to? And that's what we're going to research and that's what we're going to do. In other words, I would begin to say to them, let's work on a problem that you think might be solvable and what would that look like? Okay, and how would you go about that? I would also try to find two or three other kids who are kind of in that box with them and put them on the project together. Okay, so that what you are doing is I would trade them out assignments. I'd say, okay, so you don't have to do this and this and this because you already know it. Okay, you do this over here and bring it back to me in a presentation that we can share with other kids. In other words, you're giving them an audience and a purpose, and you are challenging their abilities. How have you seen this pandemic highlight those socioeconomic differences in student populations? And how can schools protect those vulnerable populations and close accessibility gaps? So the issue is you, you've got a knowledge-based divide, you've got an opportunity divide, you've got an environmental divide. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you have, uh, if you are in rural areas, there's a transportation issue, okay? If you are in urban areas, there's a proximity issue. You're not allowed to be close to anybody. I call them opportunity and environmental gaps. They're huge. And that is one thing right now that schools, quite candidly, are going to be hard pressed to alleviate. Dr. Ruby Payne, thank you so much for being part of the Inspiring Leaders podcast. We're thrilled to have you. and We hope that you are safe and well there in Corpus Christi. Thank you, and it was wonderful to have this opportunity. Thank you. That was Ruby Payne, best-selling author and founder of AHA Process. Throughout the pandemic, Dr. Payne has written about the potential effects of escalated poverty. Find her blog, online trainings, digital live events, and her many books at www.ahaprocess.com. Dr. Payne was exceedingly generous with her time, and our interview covered a variety of topics. We'll hear part two of her interview on next week's episode. TEA and TCASE has hailed Frisco ISD as a model of special education integration into instructional continuity planning. Wes Cunningham is the Chief Academic Officer for Frisco ISD, a district of over 65,000 students. He leads their curriculum and instruction team, and as you'll see, Wes makes the spirit of teams central to his leadership approach. Wes Cunningham, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, can you give us a little bit of an overview of how Frisco ISD is serving the needs of students that need those special education services. This really started for us in earnest over, over our spring break. And um, we, uh, the coordination and collaboration between uh, uh, all of the folks connected to the curriculum instruction department here in Frisco ISD, including our special education department, was just phenomenal. Um, we have a mission to, to know every student by name and need. And so we started from that lens. How can we support each and every student? We, we took the needs of the students first and foremost and tried to make certain that whatever we were doing 
We were trying to meet their social emotional needs first, then their academic needs. And then of course, you know, all of the support plans, the IEPs, the accommodations, all the things they're eligible for. How do we make all of this work in, in a virtual environment? And so we really started um, from our district approach was to be asynchronous, to allow for families across the district not to have to, on a given day at a given time, connect to Zoom or a virtual platform with, with their teachers. We just didn't know the complexity of what these families were dealing with. The, the difference in special education is some of these related services, particularly, um, we had to work out some times where we could partner with the families, the parents, the students, to provide some synchronous um, remote instruction to, to our families. So work that out. Um, partnership with our parents and community has been phenomenal. Um, we provided materials and equipment to parents to support instruction at home, uh, provided packets where technology may have been an issue and obstacle, um, and then all of our related services, so music therapy, um, teachers are visually impaired, almost every type of special ed classroom uh, teacher in fiscal life today, we, we tried to meet the needs of those individual students. So. Um, um, the whole purpose was to provide as many related services for our students as possible virtually. Um, asynchronous, where that wasn't possible, we did it where it was synchronous and it needed to be, but that's always a caveat, always in partnership with the parents. What types of accommodations and services work well in that approach? And what type of services do you feel um, you end up having to have more of a synchronous approach? Some of the speech therapy, you can get away with that asynchronous. Some of it you have to do synchronous. So some of that was kind of a, just a cobbling together. Um, our um, music therapy and some of those options were able to be done asynchronously. Um, a lot of the classroom support for students who um, have uh, IEP or, or other general accommodations, and I'm saying that generally, so I want to make sure that 504, GT, ESL, bilingual, all of these supports, a lot of that was able to be done asynchronously, uh, working with the classroom teachers. Um, and some of this uh, recording supports for students and posting them out for them to see, uh, setting up virtual office hours, things of that nature to kind of get in and make it work for, for our students. Uh, a group that, a uh, group of students that receive services that we've, uh, we've had probably more challenges than, than uh, was able to mention for this is our students was dyslexia. Um, there's a lot, so much of that um, is um, some of the progress monitoring. It, it's, it's a little more difficult to do than, than do it asynchronously. And so um, with that group, they've went through and uh, thanks to partnerships from a diff, uh, several different uh, software companies, be able to work with students um, through some online virtual resources that have up to this point kind of been untried. Um, but it worked out really, really well. They've been very innovative. Um, that's, that's interesting uh, just to watch that because some of our students receiving dyslexia services are special education students, some are not. And, and so we're just trying to make sure that we take the same, same approach everywhere. Would you be comfortable sharing um, some of those dyslexia uh, resources? Primarily uh, Lexia and Nessie. NESSY. Uh, we're a take flight district, uh, one of the uh, only school districts in the nation that's been certified uh, for our, our dyslexia services. So that's those two services have been really, really responsive to us. And we've been fortunate to work with those guys. How have ARDS and your kind of typical parent communication uh, evolved during this, this period of, of uh, restructure? 
Well, um, the first couple of days of our e-learning efforts, our special education staff reached out and made um, over the first couple of days, close to uh, 14,000 contacts with parents, families, students, um, try to communicate very, very quickly. You know, a lot of times if communication can be, it can be an enemy and we tried to overtly communicate with our parents, hey, this is what's getting ready to happen. Here's how we're going to attempt to meet the needs of your student. Um, and you're our partner in this. We're asking our parents and families to do an awful lot more than they already do to take care of their kids and students. And so, um, and then some present time, the partnership with the parents was, was the biggest key. So early, early, early getting communicating and trying to make sure they knew that we, we got their back we're there to support them. That's our entire job. Um, we, um, we did some virtual ARDS to amend where we needed to. A lot of these were, uh, virtually held through these platforms such as this, Zoom, Meet, whatever. Um, we um, had the opportunity to do phone arts. Um, we've had some additional translation uh, support for some of our families to make certain that we can meet. What I'll tell you is this, is our parents have been, have, have responded very, very well. Uh, they've been excited about this. Instead of uh, challenging kind of what was happening with us, they, they were just very supportive of our efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their students individually. So I think that's the biggest thing that we've seen. Um, I know a lot of colleagues across the state are doing the same thing. Um, we got together. Um, I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, note all the support that TEAs provided, ASA, um, our region service centers, and all the different documentation and support that's been pushed out from all of those entities to help us our, of course, every once in a while, uh, we talk about legal ramifications. And so working with our attorneys and then attorneys across the state to make sure that when we did a virtual or we made a, we made an adjustment that it was all in line with the best interest of the student, but also legal on the back end. So. How did, how did you bring your teams together, um, you know, kind of across those departments to work? Because it seems like special ed wasn't siloed, that it was uh, kind of a partner within this. So can you talk a little bit about that collaboration? Yeah, part of it is the way we're organized. The special education department is a part of my team. Um, and I get to work with, again, a number of fantastic individuals and I, I can't put their praises enough. But um, we started with the, we've got to make this seamless across the board for families and for students. And so whatever we're expecting and asking to occur in a, a gen ed classroom, for example, needed to occur for students who were eligible for special ed, um, 504, GT, ESL, whatever additional supports needed, um, that um, that was the same across the board. Um, I cannot give enough credit. Uh, you mentioned we were ahead. We actually had spring break the week some of us started to break. So the last several days of spring break, we were huddled up, socially distanced best we could at the time, um, and uh, worked through this in a matter of uh, three days. We got all this pulled together. And um, that's a testament to that team and their, their approach to um, what's best for students, what's best for students, just time and time again. Um, I think probably what helped us is um, this, uh, we have this, the mission statement I referenced earlier, it's, it's meet the name and need of every student. Um, and we mean that it's each and every student. So when we make a decision for curriculum instruction, um, it has to uh, go down, down, the, down the hill as it were. Uh, to meet all students in all departments, and we just work together. I think that's the best way to say it. Communication, collaboration is key there. 
what are some specific ways that your team has addressed the needs of those other at-risk groups, um, you know, people affected by ADHD or emotional disturbances? It's uh, a good question. Uh, one of the things we, we started on with was trying to provide some, some structures that parents could use, um, some schedules, um, some tips out there. Uh, I saw some stuff the TA showed off yesterday about um, some behavior management um, for, for all students. We, we started that pretty early on as well. Um, the other thing that helped us uh, was our partnership with our the Department for Student Services, but within that is our counseling and services as well. Partnership with those folks really early on provides some virtual counseling as early as day one of, of our endeavor in e-learning. And so as parents, students themselves were having some, some issues with the adjustments, they were able to reach out and speak to their school counselor who they but also with our special education behavioral services and our student services behavioral support teams, just uh, getting out there early in front. Um, I mentioned communication. We also did a lot of that with uh, students who we, we had a relationship with and knew that uh, this might be a little more challenging than others possibly. Reached out and communicate with them early on and help the parents with, here's the supports you need to make certain that your students can adjust to this. Folks reach out to us through the principals, their teachers. We have a couple of their helplines and things of that nature that parents and students can get to, um, both virtually and um, through phone call, through a phone call, and try to get some support that way. I think the other thing to make sure you know is that this is the work of a whole lot of other people, not named West Cunningham. Um, they did a phenomenal job and just made it all work. So it's been it's been great to be part of it. Uh, congratulations on on your successes and uh, West Cunningham. Thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Our final guest is Monica Simons, Director of Advanced Learning Programs and Services in Richardson ISD. Monica has led RISD's gifted and talented program since 2010. 2017, she was recognized by the National Association for Gifted Children with the Gifted Coordinator Award and by the Texas Association for Gifted and Talented as their 2019 Administrator of the Gifted. Monica Simons, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for asking. I really want to talk to you because of your involvement with um, GT services in the DFW area, as well as statewide with uh, your work with TAG-T. Um, so can you start off giving us an overview of what Richardson ISD is doing to serve their uh, gifted and talented population? We hear a lot about um, Maslow before blooms, and that's where our district has gone today, actually. And so the first thing that happened is they uh, established a, a way to contact their families and collect information from them via the homeroom teachers or a second period teacher or some other teacher like that in secondary. And so we held back. Uh, parents were scrambling to find out uh, what was going to happen with school, their jobs, their homes, and so forth. And so too many contacts could have been overwhelming. And we really wanted to strike that balance. So my teachers held back and didn't reach out to contact their parents for a few more days. What we wanted to do was wait and let the contact be made, see what the needs were, and then we followed up as a second line of contact. Um, but the teachers were also being contacted by parents who said, you know what, we've been on spring break and my kid needs something to learn. So we have taken a campus by campus, kid by kid approach. And what we're moving into now is really a phase four, what our district's calling a phase four, 
we're starting to have Zoom meetings with our families, with our students that are scheduled. If students can't make it, that's fine. But we're that each teacher will have a Zoom meeting determined by the day of the week they would be receiving services. And, and I have to share one of the opportunities we've had with this is that we were asked to create at-home learning extensions for any student who wanted to use them. And so we curated a list and um, created a Google site and we have those all and, and anyone can access them. You don't have to be in the district to access them. We have that as live embedded documents for elementary, junior high and high school. So this has been a great way to showcase extended learning for all advanced or high achieving learners, not just those who need our gifted services. Was there um, a particular need or a particular focus for what you wanted to achieve with your GT students? Number one is maintaining our connection, our relationships with them, because above all else, that's what they yearn for. You know, our students often have some social emotional learning needs that are different from other kids uh, or they're more intense than other kids. And that connection that we have with them, it's at least someone who really, truly understands that part of them. It's a huge focus of the services that we provide. And I think a lot of times gifted services are considered something extra and often something expendable. Um, it's the first thing that, well, we don't have to do that. And that was not the case with how Richardson took an approach. And I, I really think that it's because of where we are right now and the changes we're making uh, when we go back to face-to-face. -face. Is there anything, any, any other advantages you've seen to the digital environment that um, you think will impact teaching moving forward, particularly for for GT, you know, those giving GT services. So we've been working on a couple of different projects on the side that will help our students, not just this year, but moving forward, uh, looking at TEKS and how can TEKS easily be extended in ways that we can build the capacity of our general education teachers and make it easier on them to easily access how to extend the TEKS not just the rest of this year, uh, but moving forward into next year. And so we're working on that because a lot of times our students have reached mastery either before the content is taught or early on in the teaching process. And so our students often do not want to just answer the basic questions. They want to grapple with the hard questions in that, that realm of depth and complexity. Um, having our students approach their learning from that way is really important. So finding ways where we can connect with our kids and be sure that when I'm not personally with them as their teacher, they are still being afforded opportunities to grapple with the material or content or the concepts in a way that's different uh, and more aligned with their learning styles is really important. And a virtual environment provides for that because whether I'm assigned to one campus or I have kids from 10 campuses, I can use this virtual learning environment to push out information and connect with my kids without having to be on their campus at any given time. What concerns are you seeing come across the state for GT students during this uh, pandemic? With the new state plan, uh, the updated state plan, and with the funding um, model changing for how we provide services, for gifted, I've brought up some of the challenges already where services are being cut, but I'm gonna circle back to equity because I think that's probably one of our number one concerns. Gifted cannot be a siloed 
service. Um, and I will just say, I come from Louisiana, where gifted is part of special education. And so that is my background. That is how I uh, earned my master's degree in gifted. And it's it's what I truly believe. And so from the state level, the local level, and, and I would wish the, the national level that advanced learning and gifted were more woven into the DNA of all learning as opposed to um, a lot of times being seen as an add-on service. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because whenever we think of these high-flying you know, populations, we think, oh, they, they've got it. You know, they're, these are going to be high-achieving. Yeah. Um, I mean, we forget that GT, I mean, they're an at-risk population, right? Absolutely. First of all, they learn differently. But second of all, if they're not being challenged in the classroom, if they're not grappling with that material and wrestling with it in a way that's different, they often will not maintain that level of engagement. So we have to recognize that we are a part of the entire picture, uh, not just an add-on. And, and that is part of equity as well. Monica Simons, thank you so much for, for being on our podcast. It was a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for inviting me and have a great day. That was Monica Simons, Director of Advanced Learning Programs and Services in Richardson ISD. Her newest article, I hadn't thought about it like that, Finding the Silver Linings in Today's Situation, is available on the Tag T blog. Wes Cunningham and Monica Simons both shared amazing work they're doing to meet student needs in their districts. And we know that you're doing some amazing things too. We want to hear about them. Share your stories and resources with us at learning at tessanut.org. Join us next week for part two of our special two-episode series on vulnerable populations, where we'll have the Children's Advocacy Centers of Texas, Education Elements, and more from Ruby Payne. Until next time, from all of us at Tassie World Headquarters, stay safe and healthy.